Welcome to Clayton Rocks, the world's first podcast for bass players, dedicated to Adam Clayton's bass lines, his basses and bass gear. Well, hello from Dublin. I'm Niall Featherstone and you are very welcome to episode two of Clayton Rocks. As you know from our last episode, this podcast focuses on three things, Adam Clayton's bass lines, Adam's basses and his bass gear. In this episode, we have something very special for you. We are going to analyze, discuss and debate the amazing bass lines of the Joshua Tree album. And we also have a very special interview with the amazing Danny Balog. Danny is a huge Adam fan, an avid student and interpreter of Adam's bass work. And he's delivered some of the greatest Adam Clayton bass cover videos on his YouTube channel, Danny B5000. Danny is also a very active participant on our dedicated Facebook page, the Adam Clayton Bass Covers Video Group. But before we get into today's episode, I'd like to welcome my good friend and co-host, Tom Fiarglio from Long Island in New York. Hey Tom, how are you? I am absolutely awesome, uh, Niall. I'm uh, super excited for the podcast. Uh, We've got a classic U2 album with some of Adam Clayton's best bass lines. Uh, A fantastic, fantastic interview coming up with Danny Balog. Uh, Danny is so thoughtful and genuine, and I know everyone is uh, just absolutely going to love it. Awesome, Tom. Tom, the first thing I'd like to cover today before we get into um, what's on the menu, which is the baselines of Joshua Tree and our interview with Danny, is maybe to have a quick recap on episode one and the stats from episode one. While it's the early days of our podcasting journey, I just thought it might be interesting for our listeners just to give a quick overview of who's listening to the podcast and where they're listening from. So as of today, Tom, we have 221 downloads for episode one, which came out around six weeks ago. And interestingly, people have tuned in from 27, 27 different countries around the world. And those countries include the United States, Ireland, United Kingdom, Italy, Hungary, Canada, the Netherlands, France, Australia, Slovenia, Sweden, Argentina, Brazil, Spain, Slovakia, Norway, Chile, Austria, Greece, Switzerland, Germany, Denmark, the Philippines, Poland, Portugal, Estonia, and Luxembourg. So a huge reach for episode one. Um, And again, I suppose this podcast isn't about numbers. It's about reaching out to like-minded Adam Clayton bass fans who are interested in his work, interested in his bass lines, his basses, and his bass gear. So Tom, let's talk about the Joshua Tree album. So before we get into the specific 11 bass lines under traditional release from March 1987, what are your reflections on the Joshua Tree album itself? Uh, well, first, a little background uh, for those who may not know on the Joshua Tree. It was, as you just said, released on March in uh, March 1987. It is U2's fifth album. Uh, it won a Grammy for Album of the Year. It produced two number one hits here in the United States and is U2's best-selling album at 25 million copies sold worldwide. It is considered one of the greatest rock records of all time and catapulted U2 to stardom in the 1980s. In 2017, U2 did a 30th anniversary tour and released a deluxe version of the album as well. As for me, uh, I was 19 years old when the album came out. I'd been playing bass for about uh, three or four years at the time. I was in a band. Uh, we played uh, originals and some covers. And I think up to that point, uh, maybe the only U2 song I had learned uh, was Party Girl. Um, 
for this album, you really kind of have to put it in context, I think, uh, for you two at the time. Um, before this, you had uh, The Unforgettable Fire was the previous album, and Side 2 was very experimental. Uh, in the meantime, you had the perf- performances at Live Aid, the Amnesty Conspiracy of Hope Tour as well, uh, where you two kind of started to change their look um, and really didn't know what to expect um, and direction from, from you two. And then they came out with this, this simple and beautiful album with the, uh, you know, the Stark album cover. Uh, and in my memory, you know, you, of course you have at the same time Rowell and Hum uh, a year later uh, being released in the movie. Uh, and again, the two go hand in hand. It adds the visual uh, as well um, to the album tracks. Uh, for me as a bassist, it had a profound effect. Uh, the bass is so prominent in the mix and I hate to use the word basic, but um, or simple, but, but, but it, in some ways it is. Uh, and for me, as a you know, still relatively new bassist, um, these songs were just easy to learn, and these were some of the first songs I've learned by ear by myself. Um, the other effect it had on me is uh, just in terms of, of technique. Uh, I grew up, I started playing bass. I was always a pick player. Uh, all the bands I liked back in the early '80s, uh, all the bassist you know picks were common, um, and uh, you know quote-unquote musicians play with their fingers uh i had a friend in high school uh and they were into like progressive rock like rush and and the who and stuff and uh you know he played bass with his with his fingers but you know those of us who uh came up listening to punk you know you didn't do that uh so this album you know kind of showed me that um well got me started to you know playing with my, with my fingers um and again just had a really fat bassy tone to it um that you really can only kind of get with your fingers. So for Adam, a very different type of style of playing. Um, the other thing, as a musician and being in a band at the time, that you could write songs with just you know three chords, uh, three or four chords. That uh, a number of the songs on the album is just a repeating bass line over and over, and you don't need you know two or three or four different uh, kind of parts to a song. So for me, again, that was kind of revolutionary uh, as well. And again, so many of the songs on this album are just built around the bass. Uh, Streets, Bullet, Exit, With or Without You. Um, so it really was an eye-opener uh, for me as a, as a, at the time as a young bassist, still, still figuring out how to play and, uh, and my own style. Tom, they are awesome reflections. For me personally, unlike you, I wasn't a bass at the time, but I do remember clearly the 9th of March in 1987. The reason being, I worked at the time in a Dublin record store called Dolphin Discs, and I worked there with my dad on the Marlborough Street branch. And at the time, we had got chip loads of the vinyl and of the cassette into the store, and we were under strict instructions that we weren't allowed to play it till 12 midnight that night. And it was the first time in the history of Dolphin Disc, probably the first time in the history of Irish record stores, that they actually opened at midnight to allow those people who wanted the album so much to come in and get it. So doors opened at 12 o'clock. Uh, we had a sneak preview maybe around 10 to 12, heard one or two tracks. And then we played it straight through till 2 o'clock in the morning. And again, the queues around Marlborough Street and Talbot Street in Dublin City Centre were absolutely huge. And that album became iconic during that spring and summer of 1987, culminating later on that year, of course, with the Joshua Tree Tour, uh, which started off in various locations. But in Ireland, they played in Crow Park and then they went on to play in Cork in August of that year. So for me, 
not as a bass at the time, but listen to you two, listen to the edge, listen to Adam, listen to Bono's amazing vocals and Larry's drums and that snare drum. For me, I suppose there was something going on in the back of my mind because I'm a late starter to bass. I didn't start till around 2012, 2013 before I took up bass. But even going back to 1987 and listen to that rumble, the rumble of those bass lines that were coming through. There was something going on for me that I didn't ignite for another 35 years. Um, and we're here today that that length of time onwards we're talking about an amazing amazing album but for me and we'll talk about it later on when we go through the different tracks adam's bass lines in this particular album were ones that were absolutely inspirational and were amazing learning tools some of the songs may appear maybe straightforward and simple but the i suppose the you, you kind of need the stamina and the discipline and the focus so in some of the songs certainly concentration is required but I think in that album, the production of it was amazing and the bass came through really, really strong. So, Tom, there are my kind of reflections on the album itself, going back to 1987. But maybe we might jump in now until uh, we get to talk about what we're here to talk about today. And that is the bass lines of the Joshua Tree. So let's dive in, Tom, and let's start off with the very first bass line. Let's do it. OK, Tom, let's do it. First one up we have is track number one, Where the Streets Have No Name. Well, Tom, what's your take on the bass line from Adam in this song? Well, one of us, I'm going to can I repeat, my, repeat myself a, a classic. Uh, man, those chugging 16th notes. Um, this song is a workout. It's um, the bass just drives it, um, you know, from the slide in, you know, to the beginning. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, um, as a, for a bassist, it's a good practice for working on 16th notes. And I've seen this... Um, in some YouTube uh, videos uh, as one to practice if you're working on your 16th notes. Um, you know, it's got everything about just the tone, you know, the slide up from the C and then, you know, in the D and different parts of the song. Um, at points, he plays it on the low, on the low end of the uh, the, um, the notes. Um, and it's, it's just, it just chugs along. And it's just, I think it's, um, it just gets you right in the chest. I think so many of these songs, as, as we're going to talk about, you know, the bass, uh, so much of bass. I think many people out there are bassists. Um, part of it is just you know the visceral effect of the of the thumping uh, of the air against against your chest. Um, and this song or the whole album really uh, has so many kind of bass lines like that. Um, and interesting for me anyway. Uh, another besides this album influenced me to get my first precision bass. Uh, the other thing it um, kind of influenced me to buy were bass pedals. And uh, this song opens up uh, with Adam on a set of Moog Taurus bass pedals. Um, those were way out of my reach at the time, but I bought a set of uh, what called Elka bass pedals. Um, and so those are really kind of cool around to play with, you know, to, especially for that low D. Um, the other thing too I had on my bass was a Hipshot D tuner, which is another kind of little cool tool to um, to use. You just kind of flip it down and that E string becomes a low D. Um, 
and that's great for, again for the uh, intro to this as well songs other songs but you know in terms of um this song just the bass just drives it and Tom, for me, I think that rumble, and I mentioned the rumble earlier on, the rumble that Adam gets, like it has to be a rumble from his 73 Fender P, his iconic bass, the one that we saw in 1987. Uh, we saw it earlier on some of the earlier tours and then it reignited again for the 30th anniversary tour, um, which I was lucky enough to see in Crow Park on the 22nd of July, 19, sorry, 2017, 30 years on. So, yeah, I think where the streets have no name, you know, for me, it's that rumble. It's going up and down the neck. Uh, it's just such an iconic uh, bass line, one that I've never actually mastered myself. I think it's probably Tom Wright saying it's played with a plectrum. Yeah, uh, yeah played with a pick. And again, this um, what I like about the album. Again, what I like about Adam in general is just he's so versatile. Uh, and just you know, just uh, playing with the pick or playing with your fingers just gets two different tones. Um, and this one is yeah, played with the pick as a couple other songs on the album, but most of it is played with fingers. Uh, and I'm always impressed to see players play streets uh, with their fingers. I know Danny does it, uh, and it's just so impressive because I cannot play that quickly um, you know, with my fingers. I have to agree with that. It's absolutely stunning to see Danny play some of Adam's bass lines, this one, I suppose, in particular, where the streets have no name, to play it with fingers and get the same tone that Adam gets or that you get, Tom, when you do your cover of it. You know, that tone is very, very obvious, but he seems to be able to get it with his fingers. So again, it just shows you the virtuosity uh, of um, Danny, his skill level, his drive and his passion to find out about the tone and to replicate that tone. And he can do it with his fingers, which is amazing. Tom, we might move on to the second track on the album. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Tom, for me, this has always been a fascinating bass line. And interestingly, I've kind of struggled with it over the years. I was always kind of wondering, is it one that's done in standard tuning? Has it been sped up? Is it a half step down? There's different ways of playing it. Adam plays it differently live than to the studio version, I think. There's a slight variation. He seems to play a lot on the E string when he plays it live. But again, thanks to you, uh, Tom, when you did a tutorial on this uh, earlier this year, for me, that was the turning point in knuckling down and learning how to play the song. Um, and again, that do, 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 that bounce that's going on between the C and the D. And I think it's mirroring what Larry's doing on the drums. That's something that I've always struggled with, Tom. But again, thanks to your tutorial breakdown on this particular bass line, I feel now much more comfortable in achieving that bounce. Uh, Rick Beato, uh, again, has done some stuff on YouTube with regards to the breakdown of various different songs. And in his, he's done a couple on YouTube, but in the one he, he did on I Still Haven't Found, he made a point that I suppose number one was it sped up uh, was it a half step down was it standard but the point he makes for us as Adam fans is Adam keeps changing the way he plays a song as he progresses through the verses and again that's one that I, I'm again fascinated with and when I looked at your tutorial I could see as each verse progressed there was a slight variation in the rhythmic pattern uh, maybe the same notes but the pattern of those notes and how you got them across the line is something that I replicated. So for me, you know, again, those iconic uh, Ds are just incredible. And that open A 
back from the C, that bounce back, that quick C back to the D. Really, really iconic stuff. So again, Tom, two things. Number one, thanks for teaching this song to me. And number two, what do you think about it? <laughs> well, thank you very much, Niall. Um, I have to kind of give you credit uh, for helping with this one. Um, you tried. To, uh, you told me to uh, try to, to uh, tune the strings down a half step, uh, which helped. So um, it doesn't have to uh, be done that way, but by doing that, you're, it just makes the um, that kind of walk-up line just a little easier because you could just start on the open um, on the open A, uh, and then you don't have to kind of worry about trying to fret, you know, fret it on the um, on the E string. Um, you know, this um, uh, another song built around a bass line, um, and again, it's just it's just the bounce to it. Um, as you said, as a bassist and as someone who started making, uh, you know, videos and tutorials, this one was the first one, uh, where I really had to listen carefully to what Adam was doing. And as you said, um, he plays the chorus different, uh, throughout the whole song. And that's one of the beauties of U2 is, you know, it's not a processed bass sound. Um, you know, there are four humans playing together and Adam changes it up uh first time through in the chorus it's uh he uses a whole note second time through eight sixteenth um, eighth notes he'll change it up later sometimes he'll play the walk up sometimes he won't um sometimes he'll play quarter notes and so you really have to kind of listen um you know to what he's doing and again i, I love that about about adam's lines it's it has a human element to it and you could almost see him in the studio just you know recording it as you're listening to it and you know just being in the moment and you know just and getting into into the music and just playing what he what he feels um again another another kind of iconic song thanks tom and you know what that word iconic is word i'm going to describe for the next song track three which is with or without you Tom, for me, this is absolutely, superbly iconic. As I mentioned in episode one, as a learning tool for me personally, when I took up bass in 2012, this was the very first song, the very first bass line that I learned or that I tried to learn. And using those four iconic notes, the D, the A, the B and the G were ones that I actually got quite excited with when I actually managed to actually play those notes and then realize this is actually sounds a little bit like Adam Clayton's bass line in With or Without You. And it was. And that gave me great confidence. And in my band, The Road Worn Frets, we use that uh, in every every gig that we do. We play With or Without You. And it's always a highlight for us, for me personally as a bassist and for, and for the audience too. Its apparent simplicity is a little bit misleading in that those four notes, the D, A, B and G, while they might appear to be simple, to actually sustain that, over four minutes and 56 seconds is quite an ordeal in itself. And it does require a bit of concentration, a bit of focus and a bit of discipline. And, you know, I think that riff actually repeats itself around 24 times during the four minutes and 56 seconds. <laughs> you counted. Oh, I counted. You know me, you know me. I, yeah. I, I had to count. Um, so, yeah, it's it's certainly one that while it might be, it might appear simple, 
takes a bit of work to get it right. But certainly as a bassist for someone who's not even a U2 fan, but someone taking up bass to start off with, with or without you, it's something that I've, you know, on beginner bass lines, um, which is a Facebook page that I'm on, I'd always encourage people to do what I did and to maybe start with this one because it does give you confidence. It's an iconic line. It's an amazing an accompaniment. It drives the song. And again, one thing that always intrigued me was that slide um, around the G. That slide that appears very, very clearly when you listen to it headphones or with good studio speakers, when you hear that slide on the G, it's amazing. Now, when Adam plays it live, over the years, he's changed it very, very slightly. I know uh, on the BBC from December 2017 on the BBC, which is on YouTube, the BBC performance, he played it uh, again. How he played it that way was the fretted D, so the fifth uh, fret on the A string. Then he played the open A. And then he went down, stayed on, on the A string and played the B and then went up to the E string and played the third fret, the G. And that's how he played it in 2017. But I think over the years, he's probably varied that. I know some people have spoken about playing it on one string. And actually, when we play it in my own band, the Roadborn Frets, when it comes to the crescendo towards the, you know, the, the chorus, definitely the second chorus, I'll play it all on one string, uh, all on the E string. And it does have that impact it really does switch it up. But there's lots of different ways of playing it. But I do believe Adam, certainly on the last couple of tours, uh, and it plays it the way we think he might have played in 87 when that video came out. The one thing we can see today, if we look at the video of With or Without You, uh, Adam seems to be up, you know, towards that fretted D, the open A, the B and the G, uh, all in one area. Very, very efficient, very typical of Adam. But of course, there's variations as to how that can be played. And again, if, if people have tried it, on, haven't tried it on, on, on the one string, the E string, I would recommend it because it, those beautiful slides come to life uh, on that particular E string. Tom, what do you think? What are your feelings on With or Without You? Well, again, another um, another classic bass line. Um, and as you said, it's, you know, four notes, um, eighth notes the whole way, but uh, it may sound simplistic, but it is uh, it is definitely not. Again, it certainly takes focus and consistency. And I've seen this bass line, um, now that I've kind of taken bass up again a couple of years ago, uh, there's so many great teachers out there on YouTube. And I've seen this used as a uh, learning tool for those who are... Uh, either one learning how to maybe write their own bass lines um, or just, again, consistency in playing. For me, uh, personally, this song um, was a good one to practice my finger plucking. As I said, you know, I started out playing with a pick and I'm still most comfortable today playing with a pick. Um, and this album, and again, seeing Adam play this live on Rattle and Hum um, kind of really pushed me to start to learn to play my fingers. And this is a really good... Um, just a teaching tool for consistency in tone, consistency in uh, rhythm. Um, two things, again, if playing with your fingers, I found um, the tone, you know, just uh, you're playing with two different fingers. Um, you're not going to maybe get the same tone from both fingers or the consistency. So it's, it's a good practice tool for that. Um, and again, yeah, we've, we've talked about the, uh, you know, the slide up from the, the G to the D. And it was um, actually your video that you did uh, for this. Uh, and I know you, you demonstrate different ways to do it. And I always thought the slide was on the E string, you know, the G all the way up to the D, um, which is a long slide to do. Uh, and then you showed me that uh, you could just slide up from the G. And as you slide up, then you finger the, the D uh, on, the, on the A string. And that sounds, I think, best and is the most consistent uh, with it. 
But again, uh, and just again, the tone Adam gets with this, just um, you know, just a nice fat P based tone. Uh, and then just also the other thing is, um, this was uh, you know again being in a band and writing originals. You know, who knew you could write a whole song where the bass line just repeats over and over and over again? Um, and I thought that was kind of cool as a bassist that you could do that. You know, you don't have to have a different bass line for for a chorus or or a bridge, and it's just the same line over and over. Um, and again, just fantastic, fantastic work by Adam. No other bass line would work uh, in the song. And again, that's the beauty of what he does, and it allows the Edge and Bono to do what they do, and that's the role, really role of the bass player. Sit back, hold down the bottom end, keep everything together, and let everyone else shine. And Tom, that's kind of in his DNA uh, in some of his songs. I know last week we discussed Mysterious Ways, and you did an excellent tutorial uh, on your on your uh, YouTube account, uh, Thomas Feriglio. For those uh, that don't know Tom, you'll find it under Thomas Feriglio YouTube account. And on that last week, you did an excellent uh, tutorial on Mysterious Ways. And again, it's another example of the same pattern all the way through the song. There's hardly any variation at all. Yep. Uh, and it's something that I've been working on uh, this week and looking forward to, uh, you know, hopefully mastering that one again with, with your thanks. So Tom, we might move on to track number four, Bullet, The Blue Sky. Well, Tom, watch your tape on this. This is oh, sorry. baseline. Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorites. Uh, I know you're going to have a different perspective on that. Um, and again, much like with or without you, this is another song just built around um, a repeating baseline. And again, there's no chorus, there's no bridge to it as per se. It's just just that repeating baseline. And for me, this is really one of my favorites. Uh, another song played with a pick, um, and uh, you know that low E. Uh, opening and the rumble that he gets and then just the way this just locks in with the drums um it, it's it's a, again a, a, a visceral feeling i think um that that you know the sound of the bass produces um and again just kind of accenting you know that that higher e uh along with the snare with, with what larry's doing is just so locked in and it just propels the whole song um the other thing i like about the song too is that it's changed over the years um you know, the version they do on the Zoo TV tour is absolutely fantastic. And there's a whole kind of middle part that Adam adds to it, or I guess the band added to it uh, during the solo. And Adam adds this whole other part to it. Um, so again, as a basis, it's just, um, it just pushes the song along. And uh, I think it accomplishes what it set out to do and really adds to the emotional part um, of the song. Um and again, like, let's let's see Edge do whatever he's doing during the song. I don't know if he's if there's actually chorus to the song or, or not, but uh, Edge just kind of wails out the whole song, and uh, Adam just holds it all together. Thanks, Tom. In some ways, I suppose I've been kind of colored by by maybe the Edge's guitar playing, maybe the political element of the song, and I've never particularly loved the bass line probably because of the different ways that different people have interpreted it and i've never quite mastered like i don't think there is an isolated bass track available for bullet the blue sky uh, on the joshua tree that i could you know follow so i'm relying on the likes of yourself and danny and zoltan and neil 
and Andrea Sertia and the various different people on the Adam Clayton Base Covers video group on Facebook, that group that we do with 175 people all across the world, all Adam aficionados who love his work and love discussing and replicating his bass lines. And that's maybe the diversity and the beauty of it that I, I can't, I've never really properly mastered it because even Adam himself, as you mentioned there, Tom, seems to vary it and switch it up himself over the years on the various different tours. And maybe I need to revisit that again, uh, maybe to fall back in love with the bass line, because I know uh, from seeing it live, it's certainly very impactful. And that E string that you mentioned, certainly later in the song when that comes in, the open E, I should say, yep. that, that is very striking and very, very impactful. So uh, probably one for my to-do list in 2023, Tom. Yeah, I wonder if um, the different perspective, you know, being American, you being Irish, uh, I mean, this is, and again, the, the whole theme of the album is very, uh, very American. Uh, and again, so I think, you know, lyrically, this is very um, kind of big, what was kind of happening back in the 80s uh, in America and certainly under the uh, the Reagan era. Um, so it, it may have a different emotional or political impact, perhaps because of that. Sorry, Tom, I thought I was American and you were Irish. <laughs> um, yeah, listen, you could have a good point there. Um, maybe that did maybe sway my, my, my views on it. Uh, but certainly, listen, it's a song that, and a, a baseline, because this focus of this particular podcast is the baselines as opposed to the songs. Yep. And we're trying to do Adam justice because he deserves, and this, this actual album is like, it's, it's just... It's, a, it's just an incredible 11 songs and we won't even get to the B-sides. We'll talk about that later on. That deserves an episode in itself. Um, and Tom, that might bring us to number five, uh, Running to Stand Still. What's your take on this one, Tom? This is uh, one of my favorites uh, from the album. Um, no matter how many times I hear it, no matter how many times I hear it live, uh, just such such a moving uh, moving song. Um, and, you know, In terms of the, of the bass, um, there's really not a lot to it. Um, you know, the bass is kind of a little lower in the mix. It doesn't come in until about maybe halfway through the song. You have the piano uh, kind of starting it out, which really kind of, you know, picks up the bass part to it. Adam, at first, is really just kind of playing along uh, whole notes to whatever, um, you know, to the chord sequence of, you know, D and G during the verse, uh, and then A and G during the, um, during the chorus, and it's not really until about halfway through or so where he starts adding a little more rhythm to it. Um, again, just, just a, a, a beautiful song, and, and Adam's, part um again it's, it's amazing how how much emotion uh, an instrument can add or you know a part can add to a song and when you come in you know the first time hearing those bass notes halfway through a song it just adds so much presence to it um and again just uh, one of my favorites uh live certainly get the bass is a little more prominent um and plays a little greater role uh, than on the album version, but um, still, it's just subtle and, and, and beautiful. I would kind of make a distinction here between the song and the bass line. So while we're here today talk about the bass lines, I've always loved the song, but I've never really studied the bass line in depth. And as you mentioned, Tom, I don't think there's a whole lot going on uh, in the bass line. But one thing that struck me was on the 30th of September this year in Dublin, at the Welcome to the Northside event, which is an event run by Stephen Brown each year to celebrate the anniversary of U2. And he runs this event uh, in the church venue. The last couple of years has been on the church. And this year I had the pleasure of meeting Zoltan, who featured in episode one. And Zoltan plays with a couple of bands, Inca H in Hungary, U2 Tribute Band, and then U2 Baby. 
the UK U2 tribute band. And that night when he played Rhyme to Stand Still, out of nowhere, I didn't see it coming. And I was with Neil, he was beside me. But when Zoltan produced his 74p bass with those sublime slides that he does. So those slides you can see from that night because you go to YouTube and check out YouTube Baby. You'll see the full performance over two hours in three different sets where Zoltan is using three different bases. So this is the, the depth and the, the passion that Zoltan has for Adam trying to replicate his stage look, his stage sound and the tones that he gets, which are appropriate to the different songs. And Run to Stand Still was not a song, was not a bass line, I should say, that I was familiar with. And that night, what uh, Zoltan did kind of maybe stood up and think, wow, this is a song that I need to cer- certainly do more research into. The bass line is one that I'm not really familiar with. But again, I asked people, check out those slides. Zoltan's slides on this are absolutely sublime. Yeah, I think uh, it was Ralan Hum that really made me kind of notice the bass in that song. And again, you know, live it's certainly more prominent than it is on the on the album okay tom let's move on now to track number six red hill mining town Well, Tom, what's your take on this one? Uh, well, in terms of a song, my least favorite song on the album, but uh, again, for the bass line, uh, it's, it's a really good one. Um, I like how, uh, just the rhythm of it, and it, it just gives, um, you know, Adam's use of, whether it be, um, well, a couple songs will be coming up in a little bit, uh, just the use of space uh, in his bass lines, and just, um, you know, the rhythm, he could play, you know, eighth notes on this one, uh, but he doesn't, and by, um, again, just changing the rhythm up a bit, changes the whole dynamic of the song, and again, in terms of a, a bass line, it's pretty simple, just stays to the roots, but um, it really just kind of keeps it moving along, and a fun one to play along to. And for me, I suppose it's one that I do like, uh, it's one that I've studied, and I've done a cover of it on my YouTube channel, Um and what I like about it is the 30th anniversary version, where the Edge's vocals are brought up slightly, and there's a horn section that's been brought in by Steve Lillywhite, as far as I can recall. For the bass line, it's the rhythmic pattern that I really enjoy. There appears to be a much firmer staccato pattern that Adam uses when he's playing the G, the C, the D and the A, and then going back to the F. So in that particular bass line, what I'm struck with is his use of staccato. Uh, eight notes, but kind of broken down into pairs. Uh, so one that I've always really, really liked. And again, the, the 30th anniversary one, I think it's one that, you know, people are surprised and they ask me, well, what version is that? Uh, so it kind of went under the radar a little bit uh, when it came out a few years ago. Uh, but certainly one worth checking out, Red Hill Town. Certainly, yeah, the baseline. One of my favourites, Tom, I have to admit. And maybe later on, we're probably going to rank and rate our top six. And it'll be interesting to see what perspectives uh, and what different choices we make uh, later on in this discussion, Tom, when it comes to our favourite top six baselines of the Joshua Tree. Alrighty. So, Tom, let's move on to track number seven, In God's Country. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Tom, what do you think of this one? <laughs> the why of the chorus is different. Um, the first time through, the chorus is you know E, G, and D. Uh, second time, it is C, G, and D. And I'd love to know uh, the decision making on that one. Um, this uh, again, another another fantastic line, and one of the few bass lines. Um, you know, if I pick my bass up today, I'll just one lines I'll continue to kind of go to. Um, in terms of the verse, uh, again, another one that really uses space. And again, Rick Beato does a great job uh, breaking the song down as well. Um, uh, you know, do, 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 space. And it allows the song to breathe. It really gives, I think, too, um, adds to the lyrical content, you know, the idea of, of being out in God's country, perhaps. Um, and then you've got the chorus. And uh, again, how differently Adam can play a song the first time through. Uh, again, it's uh, built around E, G, and D. Uh, Adam adds uh, these fifths in there uh, as he's playing those very melodic uh, kind of bass, bass line during the first chorus. And then the second chorus is just um, on the lower the lower notes, uh, and it's a C, G, and a D, and just simple eighth notes. And how that just kind of changes, again, the dynamic of the song. Um, but again, um, just the rhythm that Adam uses and again this use of space and again it really just propels the song and for me Tom similar to the last one uh, I, I draw a distinction between the song which I absolutely love and the bass line which I love but I've never mastered and again as you mentioned there the chorus it's the chorus that I've struggled with um, and the fact that in the chorus the first chorus differs to the second chorus second chorus as you mentioned is more straightforward don't, sorry don't you hate like, when you get the verse down and then you just can't get the chorus down Happens to me a lot. Um, yeah, Sunday Bloody Sunday was like that for me because it has that little um, melodic run in the in the in the chorus. But anyway, go right ahead. And Tom, sometimes when when I'm <laughs> when I, when I'm doing as you know this already, but doing my 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 bass cover takes, I think my world record so far is sixty six takes. <laughs> so it does happen, and, and this is yeah. one that I think I, I'm okay on on the the intro and the verse, but once I get to that that chorus. I just have mastered and again thanks to you you've done a breakdown video of the course and how it works and um, second course is fine it's just that first course uh, so again we're thankful to you for doing that but yeah listen yeah. it's a song i love i love listening to when driving uh the bass line i love it's a real typical 1987 u2 p bass adam sound always love it and the live version of course uh from the paris show and from other shows that i saw uh that, that year i was lucky enough to see them uh, down in cork uh, on the 87 tour i saw them in cork um when they played there it was an amazing amazing gig but again yeah certainly this is a standout for me i think uh one, one tip for for our listeners uh fellow bassists out there if you're trying to learn a song uh one thing i do is um again if you find the track on youtube you could always slow it down uh, uh the playback and for me uh this learning the course the first course uh for that was helpful because it kind of slows down the track and you can really kind of play along to it a little better. Uh, Tom, even when I slow it down, I can't master it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep, keep practicing. I'll but I get there. I will get there. Okay. Track number eight. Trip through your wires. Well, Tom, what do you think of this one? 
This is one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, I just, uh, you know, the bass line just swings. It's a bluesy, uh, just a bluesy rock and roll song. And for you two, uh, I think a little different. Uh, you know, Bono's hooting and hollering. You got a harmonica in there. And the bass line, um, it just swings. Um, I was going through this uh, the album uh, just the other day. And actually the chorus for Red Hill Money Town and the verse for Trip Through Your Eyes are, are the same notes, G, D, F, and C. Um, so it's built around the same chords, but such a different feel. And again, um, it, it just swings. Adam just, uh, again, um, the rhythm of it, just changing things up a little bit and um, just hanging out to that bottom end. And it's just a, just a good raucous rock and roll song and the bass does what the bass does keeps everything together and tom for me i think you've hit the nail in the head when you say bluesy again not really like you two to play bluesy songs for harmonica there's only a couple of songs i know desire has that kind of harmonica and there's one or two others there's not many but for me i think it is a really good example of a bluesy u2 song where, where you two kind of let loose and again my favorite version of that is that paris 87 show uh, which is up there on youtube and those notes uh, on the bass line the g the D, the F sharp, and the C in the main riff, um, I think are, you know, they're, they're ones that, that can be followed quite straightforward. It just takes a bit of discipline because they are repeated quite a lot. I think Tom does an unusual outro in this one. On Trip Tree of Wires, the outro is kind of, it's done in a descending order, is it? Um, yeah, well, he adds a descending bass line um, yeah. out of nowhere. You know, and it's not like the very last time, it's like this one or two times just before the last time. Um, yeah, he just kind of runs down, uh, I guess it's pretty much a, a C scale, but from the F, um, yeah, it kind of oddly thrown in there. Cool, Tom. Tom, track number nine is One Tree Hill. Tom, this is an iconic song. What are your, what's your take on the bass line? This um, is, is one of my favorites. Uh, you know, in terms of the bass line, what I love about this is, um, again, Adam just, in essence, is just playing, you know, hanging on that C. Um, and then the chords are kind of built around that. And so for me, again, as a bassist, that you could play this repeating line and have the guitarist be doing something else and you don't have to follow the chord changes um, was again um, kind of enlightening uh, as a bassist, and uh, again I love how it's just built around kind of that C, and then you got a little kind of little walk up or walk down, uh, leaning back up to it. Um, again, another when I was covering this, uh, similar to I still haven't found what I'm looking for uh, during the uh, chorus, Adam mixes it up, and um, I, another one that really required a close listen by me. Sometimes he'll play. Um, it's you know built around a B flat and an F. Sometimes we'll play it high, the high notes. Sometimes we'll play the low notes. Sometimes uh, again it, the rhythm is constantly changing. Sometimes we'll do the walk up to it. Sometimes he won't. Um, sometimes I'll just hit a whole note. And again, so really, um, again, unlike maybe today's music, where it's not kind of process based line that just kind of repeats. And again, it really adds a human element uh, to it. But again, just the sense of space um, that Adam. And the bass line answers the song. Uh, I think, again, just um, 
It's fantastic. Tom, I think you've nailed it there. The space, the variety, the human element, it's not just repeated. He does switch it up. For me, I suppose the backstory and the context of a song is the paying respect to Greg Carroll, who passed away and were, who was a friend of the band. Um, and I think the emotion of that, the emotion of Greg's death and the dedication of this song by the guys to him, I think it's reflected in the song and it's reflected in Adam's bass line. There's so much space. It's so mel- melodic. Again, it's one that I've heard and heard and I never get sick of playing it. And when I tried to cover it a couple of years ago, I managed to get the original sheet music and I tried to stick as close as possible. As you mentioned, the C is the main root note that the whole song is built around. Um, but it's just there's so much going on, so much emotion. And I think Adam's bass line really, really adds to the song and it makes it live and in the studio. It really does make it iconic. Tom, that brings us to track number 10, Exit. Tom, this is a song I absolutely adore. It's one of those songs that the bass just comes in. It kind of sneaks in and the sound increases and the volume increases and it comes to a crescendo halfway through the song. One of the first times I heard it was actually when you two played the old Grey Whistle Test, which is a UK program going back to the 70s and 80s. And on this occasion in 87, it was around the time the album was coming out. It may not have even been out at the stage and they played a couple of songs and one of them was exit and what i really noticed was how adam that rumble was there again from the very start and the whole song was built around the bass line it built and it built and it built Uh, again there's a few ways of playing it i think when you listen to the studio version you can hear those slides Uh, so i think there's probably two ways of playing it you can play it on two strings the e string and the a string which is the way adam seems to play it live and then there's the other version that uh it's possibly the studio version because it actually brings in the C on the A string on this occasion rather than the C on the E string. And that does then bring in the slides of the studio version. So for me, I've tried both. Uh, I probably have a preference for the studio version because it does kind of highlight those slides. Uh, but certainly Exit, what a bass line, what a song. Uh, I saw it, uh, the last time I saw it live was actually in Crow Park on the 30th, 30th anniversary tour in nineteen sorry 2017. Uh, 2017, 22nd July in Pork and Croke, Croke Park in Dublin. An amazing gig. But yeah, Exit was probably the highlight that day for me, Tom. How about you? Yeah, uh, again, such a powerful, powerful bass line. Um, and I, I think you're right. Um, I think on, on the album version, it's played all on the A string because uh, you got those slides in there. And I do remember, like you, um, watching, I think it was Rallin' Hum, and seeing Adam just kind of sticking to... Um, kind of the one position and playing playing those notes both using the, both the E string and uh, and the A string and one thing I've noticed about Adam is he seems very economical uh, in his hand movements and there's very uh, he's not kind of sliding up and down the, the fretboard all the time he'll kind of anchor himself and make use of the notes um, uh, where it best could uh, again just um, just a thumping thumping bass line and then you got that you know the that's not even a chorus. It's just a, a, a break part with the, with the E. Uh, you got those bass pedal, the low notes of the, of the bass pedal in there as well. Um, just a powerful, powerful 
baseline and power, powerful song. Uh, and again, another one, um, which again, for me at the time was good practice to work my finger plucking. And again, it's just steady eighth notes. Um, to this day, I, I find it hard to play along to cause it's so low in the beginning. Um, that it's really hard to get the, the timing just right until, until you can actually hear it and the drums come in. Um, but again, it's a good, it's a good one to practice. Uh, just, just consistency, uh, in terms of tone and, um, and steadiness of, of the notes. I think you're right. It does really kind of sneak in and you just really have to be ready for that rumble that comes in. And again, on the main riff, I know it does switch up later on the songs on the E, the C and the G, you know, certainly it's very atmospheric. It's certainly one of my favorites. And Tom, that brings us to track number 11, Mothers of the Disappeared. What are your thoughts on what Adam is doing in this one, Tom? Well, this is a uh, beautiful end uh, to the album. And uh, one of the things I always loved about U2 is their song selection and, and you know, they always seem to pick the right song to end an album. Uh, for this one, this was actually one of the early ones um, I had covered on uh, on my bass channel, uh, on my YouTube channel. And um, I remember when I first started making bass videos, you and Danny had done so many great U2 songs. I was trying to find things that hadn't been done, and this was one. And I think primarily because there's no bass in it, <laughs> uh, or at least bass guitar, there's bass pedals. And um, you can certainly play it on bass, um, and you want to tune down, you get that low D. So you want to kind of take the E string as, uh, you know, detune it to a, to a D. Um, and again, hip shot detuner is a great little gadget to add to your bass. Uh, this one, again, back when I was, uh, had my bass pedals many years ago, this is always a fun one to play along with as well. And again, the bass just follows the, um, you know, the root notes and just adds a little bottom end uh, to it and just plays along with the chords. And again, that low D is just so powerful. It's um, which, oh, well, I guess I didn't think that this, but again, the song or the album begins with, with the low D on streets and it ends with the low D and mothers disappeared. So maybe tying it all together. That's a very good point. I never thought of it, Tom. And again, when I was researching uh, for this episode, I went back and looked at your cover of mothers of the disappeared. And again, not a whole lot of bass going on, but I think you've managed to replicate what's there or what should be there. Um, it's a song that. I suppose of all the songs on the album, it's not the one that it would be my go-to song, but it's also, but it's an interesting one. Like, is there a song on the Joshua Tree that no one doesn't enjoy? There's, I think there's something on every song on that Joshua Tree. But when you look at the bass lines, um, like of those 11 songs, you've got eight or nine massive big hitters. Uh, for me, Mothers Have Disappeared is, it wouldn't be one of them. Uh, but again, because of the community that we have around the world on this podcast, Clayton Rocks, but also on the Adam Clayton Bass Covers video group on Facebook. Uh, we have that opportunity, which is a brilliant opportunity to discuss and debate and analyze with like-minded people all around the world. And again, a quick note to you, Tom. Um, again, I've counted, you now have 123 U2 uh, baseline tutorials and songs covers on uh, your YouTube channel. That's 123, either bass cover or bass cover tutorial. So well done to you. And your breakdowns, Tom, again, it's been said to, I said to you myself, but it's been said to me, your patience, your attention to detail, especially in those tutorials mean a lot because you break them down in a way that people either A, if they're learning, B, if they're intermediate, or C, just love Adam and his baseline and want to find out more. You know, they really do make a difference. So I just want to thank you. And again, for those that haven't done it, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, check out Thomas Veriglio YouTube channel. Uh, some amazing, amazing YouTube bass related stuff there. You guys got to check it out. 
Oh, thanks, Niall. Um, and for this uh, podcast, I did put together a, a playlist uh, of you two, uh, Josh Tree. So all the songs I've done for the Josh Tree. I think the only one I've not done is Running to Stand Still. Um, as for the tutorials, again, I, I enjoy doing them, and I, I enjoy helping others uh, learn the bass parts. Uh, fun little fact, sorry if I could digress for a moment, uh, with the bass pedals. So um, at, I noticed um, maybe it was on Rallon Hum, maybe not, uh, but seeing Adam's bass pedals, and on each pedal uh, was a piece of tape and the, the names of the notes on the pedals. I'm guessing Adam doesn't know know the names names of the notes and the pedals. Neither did I. So when I had my bass pedals, I did the same thing, and because I didn't know I don't know keyboard, uh, and it just kind of helped me quickly know where the notes were. Well, Tom, it's, it's something that when we, when we reflect back on the bass lines, there's so much going on. You know, you mentioned the bass pedals, the different uh, approaches that Adam takes. Some are with fingers, some are with plectrums. Um, I just think it's that diversity and the richness and it may be the Joshua Tree. This is where it's all crystallized onto one album. And for me, it certainly is my go to album when it comes to bass work and bass lines and Adam's work. And in a few moments, we'll come back to in a second. We're going to look at probably what are our uh, top six bass lines. But before we do that, uh, the second element of today's podcast, Tom, episode two of Clayton Rocks, is a very, very special guest inter- interview uh, with Danny Ballog. Would you like to introduce Danny? Absolutely. Uh, our special guest for this podcast is Danny Balog. Danny has been making bass videos on YouTube since 2011. He has close to over 17,000 followers. And uh, you, can, uh, you can find him at DannyB5000. Dan was born in Hungary, spent his childhood in Canada and England. Uh, he's now back living in Hungary. Uh, he has been an absolutely tremendous influence on me. Uh, and I consider him a master of the YouTube bass cover. Uh, for me, he is simply number one. Uh, and for me, he's always my go-to. If I want to learn a song, I'll always uh, check out what Danny has done uh, first. He is an extremely talented, talented bassist. Uh, he releases videos twice a week, every Sunday and Wednesday. And he is just generally just such a good person and so, so supportive of other bassists uh, on YouTube. And I'm um, very happy to uh, call him a good friend. His interviews uh, coming up, and um, I think everyone's going to enjoy it. Very, very thoughtful replies um, from Danny. Okay, Tom, let's have a listen. You're listening to Clayton Rocks, the world's first podcast for bass players, dedicated to Adam Clayton's bass lines, his basses, and bass gear. Hey, hey guys, Danny B here. First of all, I'd like to give Niall and Tom a big, big thank you for inviting me to be a part of this incredible podcast um, dedicated to you two and Adam Clayton. Um, It's an honor to be able to share my thoughts and passion with all of you guys. Um, So I hope you'll enjoy what I have to say and share about the Joshua Tree and Adam Clayton's incredible work on the album. This episode focuses on the Joshua Tree album and Adam's bass lines and playing. Danny. Can you start by giving us some brief thoughts on the Joshua Tree album, and in particular, Adam's bass lines? How did you come to hear that album, and what was your first reaction as a bassist? So, the Joshua Tree for me is a remarkably refined and monumental album um, in U2's discography. I became obsessed with U2 and their music when I was about 11 or 12, and the first album 
I heard by them was their best of 1990 to 2000 compilation record. And then the next couple of albums were How to Dismantle and Atomic Bomb, and I think the next one was All That You Can't Leave Behind. And it was only after when I got around to the Austria tree itself. Um, so I can remember that because I was more familiar or used to U2's um, more modern era rock sound, the Joshua Tree, for me, had a completely different quality and spirit, so to speak. It felt much more serious. It had different weight musically, and even though I was too young to comprehend all that, um, it, I still felt a deep musical connection with it. I mean, all it took was the first song. Um, I can't explain how Where the Streets of No Name made me feel the first time I heard it. It was just magical. Um, I'd never gotten so lost in a song before. You know, you had the edges arpeggios, um, Larry's rhythms, and his rumbling bass line, and you know, you got Bono's vocals and lyrics, really everything, all of that just captivated me. Um, and what I admire so much about the Joshua Tree is how consistent it is throughout, um, both musically and thematically. There's not a single filler on there, um, at least that's how I feel. Um, there's not one song that feels lazy or kind of out of place or odd. Um, it's an incredibly carefully crafted album. And from a bassist point of view, I think the Joshua Tree offers an incredibly colorful um, palette of bass lines. Style-wise, Adam may not be as aggressive um, as he has on previous records, but instead he's much more musical, I think. Um, and when I first started studying the bass, um, his work on the album in particular um, helped me get a picture of what the bassist needs to do in a band. Um, I started to understand better how a bass line leads a song, even if it's the same line repeated over and over. I mean, you know, you've got songs like With or Without Your Bullet, you've got that same um, bass line supporting the song. There's no shame in repetition. Um, or using open strings, um, which was something um, I always tried to stay away from. Um, when I first started playing the bass, I thought it was something to be ashamed of um, or to be embarrassed about, um, but now, well, I was in my mid-teens, so I always felt the need to complicate things or, you know, whatever. Um, Whereas music is really about communicating to the listener, and if the song only needs one note from you to put that message across, then you just gotta play that one single note. So studying Adam's um, playing on this album really helped me put the bass into perspective. Another cool thing that really blew my mind um, was when I found out that Adam and Bullet plays in a completely different key to the rest of the band. And to me, this was like black magic. Um, how could somebody be playing out of key, remain in tune with the rest of the band? Um, this really opened up an entirely new world of possibilities in my mind, and it made me want to explore the instrument more and find those kinds of sounds, which would eventually add more color to my playing and style. Bass lines on this album also taught me consistency and focus. Um, again, going back to the uh, repetitive bass lines. They may sound easy to play, but I mean, trust me, um, you need to have a lot of focus to maintain your accuracy and consistency for four or so minutes. Um, the mind can wander very easily, and I know that from personal experience. Uh, but then you have songs like Red Hill Mining Town or One Tree Hill, where Adam 
um, alternates between more rhythmic and relaxed bass parts. These kinds of bass lines really made me think about how applying different rhythms or melodies can impact the flow of a song. So overall, there's just so much you can learn from Adam's playing on this album when you put his work under the microscope and really absorb um, the what's and the why's of his bass lines. So I would highly recommend this album to anyone who wants to take the bass seriously as it is an extremely educational experience. The Joshua Tree album is an iconic album with a number of fantastic bass lines. Danny, we're going to put you on the spot. What are your favorite bass lines from the album? And if you could, can you narrow it down to a top three? Oh, this is a really difficult one, Tom, Uh, but it's also a fantastic question. Um, How about I give you a top 11? All right, all right, all right. Um, I'm going to pretend that my life is on the line um, and pick a top three for you. Um, so, I mean, absolutely no disrespect to any of the songs I leave out here, um, but the top three for me has to be In God's Country, One Tree Hill, and Exit. So Adam really plays differently in each of these songs. Um, these aren't necessarily the most difficult bass lines on the album, but what makes Adam's work in In God's Country stand out for me, for example, is the way he um, changes parts of his bass line as the song progresses. Um, especially in the choruses, where the first one is more melodic. Um, it has a lot of these colorful um, fifths and octaves, whereas in the second chorus, um, he only just plays these straight eighth notes. Um, and I really love how you can express yourself differently, um, but remain in context with the song. I also have to mention the groove he plays in the verses, um, and if you pay very close attention to the way he ends his groove, um, he always leaves it open for Larry to finish the last few beats of the measure. Um, and this is a little but very beautiful musical interplay between Larry and Adam, and I just love that so much about this bass line. Um, so moving on to his work in One Tree Hill. I love how delicately he plays in the verses. Um, His notes give the song this melodic pulse um, that you kind of instantly pick up on. Um, It's got this jumpy, kind of funky nature, um, and just just like in in God's Country, he plays very, very tightly with um, Larry, and in this one he kind of emphasizes the ones and he plays around the twos, which leaves so much um, space for Larry's snare drum. Um, I also love um, what he does in the choruses, um, he extends the first couple of notes, kind of giving Bono and the Edge a bedding um, as they begin playing their parts. Um, but then um, he quietly goes back to playing his groove, and it w- just works so well with the song's chemistry. But the part I love the most, and this is also my favorite moment on the album, is um, we're still on One Tree Hill, um, but you know, it's got that quiet bridge part. Um, where you could um, just hear the synth and Larry's drumming. Um, I just love how Adam rejoins the song. It's just so peaceful and sincere to me, how he gets back into that subtle uh, rhythmic groove. Um, Last but not least comes Exit. Um, This is my favorite song on the album. Uh, Man. So this song is incredibly haunting. Um, It's it immediately captivates you and puts you in this desperate man's life um, that Bono is singing about and kind of describing with his lyrics. Um, It's incredibly cinematic stuff. 
but I love a lot of that darkness um, I feel comes from Adam's rumbling bass line um, that you can kind of hear getting louder and louder kind of fading in in the beginning um, he just keeps sliding deeper down the neck um, that kind of adds even more drama and tension to the whole song um, it's just absolutely genius um, and I don't think eighth notes have ever sounded better and so intense um, than they do in this song. It's really incredible. But broken down, it's it's a very simple bass line. Um, but the way, again, the way Adam applies that simplicity is what makes it stand out for me. So that was my top three. Um, it was so difficult uh, for me to leave out the classics like With or Without You, you got Bullet, The Blue Sky, Red Hill, Mining Towns, Where the Streets of No Name. I've got, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Um, Adam's work in all of these songs are just rightfully iconic, um, especially when you really put them under the microscope and um, just listen to what he plays and why he plays them. Um, there's just so much to be observed. Danny, in your opinion, how do you think the Joshua Tree bass lines compare to other albums and other periods in U2's history? His technique was much more simplistic on the Joshua Tree album do you view this as Adam getting better or regressing as a bassist? Regressing? Um, absolutely not. Um, Adam's contribution, I mean, the bass lines in With or Without You and Bullet the Blue Sky, Where the Streets of No Name, One Tree Hill or Exit kind of speak for themselves. I mean, over the years I've read and heard a lot of people criticizing how boring and unimaginative his bass lines are. And that really, and I mean really, upsets me. Adam is not about showing off. He's not a bassist um, who wants to show you how many scales or notes he can squeeze into a single measure, nor is U2's music about that. Um, he plays what the songs need, um, nothing more, nothing less. Sure, you can say he was more adventurous on records like Boy, October, or War, but the Joshua Tree isn't punk rock, and U2 weren't making punk rock tunes anymore. Um, this is a mature and refined rock album. This was you two evolving as musicians and artists. Um, so let me ask you this, can you really play a different bass line to Bullet and convey its identity? Or can you even add a single fill to Adam's bass line and not ruin the flow of the song? I don't think you can. I've tried um, for fun or even, you know, it's, I tried making these songs my own at one point and you just can't. Adam owns them the way he plays them. Adam's work on every single song on the album is measured to perfection, and as a bassist, it, it still blows my mind how simplicity can sound so elaborate and commanding. Um, one of the coolest things about the Joshua Tree, um, that it, it makes me think um, about the way I play, or I would play. Um, it, it helps me compare my approach to Adam's. Um, so whenever I'm listening to these songs, I often ask myself, what would I have done? What would I have played? Um, how would I have been able to contribute to these songs had I been in Adam's place, you know? Um, and I think that's the beauty of studying your favorite artists, styles and techniques. It really makes you think. And that's, that's what helps you grow as a musician at the end of the day. Um, so no, Adam was not lazy on the Joshua Tree, he was adapting to U2's changing sound. And um, with that he was maturing and getting better as a musician himself. 
You could have put the world's fastest playing or craziest jazz or funk bassist in a studio to play on these songs, but believe me, even they would have had to cut down on their playing because, you know, flashy, flashy stuff is not what these songs need or needed. And I think this is the point many people miss. They judge visually um, and they don't open themselves up to the music. And I think a few weeks ago, Tom, you and I were talking about how even for artists like Joe Satriani, um, the bass parts played by technically capable and often legendary bassists are quite simple. Um, they let Joe do the magic and all the shredding and, you know, solo-y stuff. And the same applies for you too. And for every other band out there. I'm a million percent sure that Adam is capable of playing blues, jazz, soul, or funk. Um, but in U2, he has to provide the foundation for the edge in Bono um, and serve the sound of the song they're playing. That's it. With or Without You has become a classic song with a classic bass line. Danny, a lot of bassists, when learning to play bass, start with that song. What do you think of the bass line for With or Without You? And we know you've done a lot of videos for live U2 songs. Does Adam play it differently live? And if so, how? I don't think I'm exaggerating um, when I say that With or Without You is one of the most recognizable bass lines in rock. Uh, you've got those solid, booming eighth notes that send so many shivers down our spines. Adam's bass line is really the foundation of the song, and without it, I don't think Bono or The Edge uh, would have the creative freedom that they do. Um, it just leaves so much room for the additional melodies throughout the song. Um, and this bass line, for me, is the perfect example of what the purpose of a bassist is in a band and how a bassist needs to drive and steer a song without stepping on anybody's foot. Um, and before I say anything, I haven't really seen any of U2's latest live performances of With or Without You, um, so I'm not really sure if they've done anything new with it. Um, but as far as I'm aware, there's only two possible ways you can play this bass line. You can either play it on two strings, um, the E and the A, or play it all on one string, the E string, um, and you, you can add those slides. Um, a very young Danny covered the studio version of this tune many, many, many ages ago, and he decided to play it on the E and the A strings. Um, many people disagreed with me at the time, but I decided to listen to my gut anyway and just go with it. Um, but I still stand by that decision. I'm 99.99999% positive that Adam in the studio version plays this on two strings. I've listened to it very, very, very closely. Um, and I just cannot hear the slides he would play live. Playing it on one string is definitely the more popular way of playing the song. And in every single live version that I've seen Adam play this bass line, um, he's always played it that way. Um, and those slides really add an extra depth to the bass line and it, they make it even more beautiful. Um, playing it on one string, however, is much more difficult. And I think this is what some people, especially the criticizers, miss or don't appreciate. You have to, and I mean, I emphasize have to, play those slides equally. And you just cannot afford to get one of those buzzing fret sounds when you're playing the song, you have to focus and maintain your consistency 110%, otherwise the entire song becomes an absolute train wreck. It is that reliance on Adam's consistency and accuracy. Um, repetition requires consistency and consistency requires stamina. 
which is why I think with or without you is a must learn for beginners, intermediate, or even, you know, seasoned players. This song really helps you build and maintain these skills. And as repetitive as it is, um, it's a gorgeous progression. No matter how often I play along to this tune, I always get lost in the beauty of it. It's simplistic genius for Adam. Danny, did Adam's playing on the Josh Tree influence you in terms of technique, tone of gear? For example, I know for me, the Josh Tree was a huge influence on my bass playing. Uh, in terms of gear, I got a precision bass, and I also learned to play with my fingers. That's another fantastic question, Tom. Um, it's a yes and a no. Um, the Joshua Tree has influenced my approach and style more than it has my choice of gear. I've never actually owned a Precision, and I never really looked into the specific gear Adam was using during that era. Um, but in terms of style and technique, it has had a major influence on my way of thinking as a bassist, and it has helped me get over some of the insecurities I had early on. By that I mean, when I first started playing the bass, I was afraid of playing simple stuff. Um, I was afraid nobody was going to notice me or whatever I was playing. Um, so therefore, I often looked to overcomplicate things. And I was also ashamed of using the open strings. Um, they seemed like a lazy solution rather than a necessary tool um, at the time. You know, the typical beginner teenager stuff um, was I was still very young. I think I was. 15, 16 when I started playing the bass more seriously. Um, but then when I started looking at what Adam was doing on this album especially, I realized how powerful simplicity was and how effective open strings were as a choice. And slowly, my approach and especially my mindset were beginning to change. I started focusing more on the music and how my playing or choice of notes would impact the mood and tone of the song. Um, like, I, like I said earlier, this album really puts the bass into perspective and it really challenges you to think about what is too much or how far is too far. Technique-wise, um, this album also really helped uh, my plucking hand. You have songs like Where the Streets of No Name or, or With or Without You, those driving 8th or 16th notes have to be consistent um, with or without a pick. Um, then you have songs like Bullet the Blue Sky, or I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, um, where Adam, you know, often skips between strings to jump to those octaves or even the fifths. And I remember how much time I put into practicing Bullet the Blue Sky, especially. Um, sometimes I would just play that bass line for hours every day um, because it really helped me to learn the change between the E and the A strings quickly and consistently. And then, um, later on, after I got good on the E and A, um, I was able to apply this, the same routine to the D and G strings, and slowly I would become more and more comfortable with skipping two or even three strings at a time. Um, personally, I'm not a pick player. <laughs> I think many of you already knew that. Um, I tend to rely on my fingers to do everything. Um, it's fingers and nothing for me and my nails. <laughs> um, I just feel more versatile this way. But yeah, if I would ever consider learning to play with a pick, um, and I probably will have to at some point, the Joshua Tree would be my go-to album. Um, for the same reasons it's helped with my finger plucking, um, this album is like uh, a bass for dummies slash bass master's degree at the same time. 
the Joshua Tree period was a productive one for you too. Even spawning a movie, an album, Rattle and Hum. But we'll save that for another podcast. During this time, there's some fantastic B-sides that were released. Do you have a favorite bass line from any of those B-sides, Danny? The Joshua Tree could so easily have been a double album. And I really think it should have been one. Um, there are some absolutely fantastic B-sides that the band left off on the record. Uh, I think, Tom, you already know which one I'm going to mention first. <laughs> one of mine and Niall's favorites, Spanish Eyes. Um, this one has an incredible bass line, and it's another one of those songs that is highly reliant on Adam's drive and energy. Um, those little licks he plays in the choruses, though, is, is my favorite thing about the song. They're just... You know, they're so damn tasteful. Um, but then, there's Silver and Gold, which I have absolutely no idea why or how it didn't make it onto the album. The song is a masterpiece, and it has one of my all-time favorite Adam Clayton groups. I don't I don't have anything against Trip Three or Wires. Um, it's an excellent song, but I think uh, that Silver and Gold would have been a much, much stronger choice. Um, but again, thinking about it, it's also very difficult for me to imagine the Joshua Tree without any of its songs. Um, so it's why I think it should have been a double album instead. You two were just on fire songwriting wise during this period. And so moving on, um, another one that I absolutely love is a song called Race Against Time. Um, not really sure how well known this one is, uh, but gosh, this is a psychedelic journey. Um, and it's absolutely magical if you listen to it at night um, with your eyes closed and just kind of focus in on Adam's hypnotic groove. If I had the opportunity to work on the track listing um, for the Joshua Tree album, um, I would have placed this one just before exit um, because it's just as dramatic and it kind of feels like a prequel to it. Um, it's almost I think it's like 90% instrumental, um, which is really cool. Um, I think there's only one or two audible lyrics that Bono sings in this one. Wave of Sorrow is another masterpiece, which feels so damn cinematic. Um, it's also one of my all-time favorite YouTube base, uh, B-sides. And this is another one that should have been on the record. Um, Adam's Baseline is a perfect example of how to stay low and melodic at the same time. Um, it really adds to the to the uh, low end and it plays really tightly with Larry. And also just a fun fact, um, the piano f parts in this one for me, um, they kind of remind me of the ones from the instrumental B-side from the Unforgettable Fire era um, called Yoshino Blossom, um, which is another one of my favorites. Um, Walk to the Water which I know for a fact is one of Niall's favorites. Um, it's got this really hypnotic groove. Um, but what Niall and I love so much about this bass line is that even though it's quite simple, um, Adam changes the rhythm a bit as the song progresses. So he's kind of respecting each verse individually. Um, and I think that's really beautiful. Um, man, I could really go on all day here. <laughs> Um, Alright, so Rise Up and Deep in the Heart are my final ones, and they both rely on Adam Clayton so much, especially in Rise Up, and and he plays on a fretless um, in Rise Up. Um, you can tell really easily from those um, little melodic slides he plays in the choruses especially. 
it's incredible um, for me how creative you two were during this period. Um, there's there's some other songs that you know are probably worthy of mentioning, but I mean, like I said, I could go on all day here. Um, they have some incredible b-sides, and I really feel these songs would have made up an excellent follow-up to the Joshua Tree, um, kind of like a prequel to Rattle and Hummer, kind of sandwiched in between the two albums. So I really hope you guys enjoyed some of my thoughts and insights on one of the greatest rock albums out there. Um, I think I managed to cover pretty much everything and share how much of an impact this album and Adam's playing especially has had on me over the years, um, especially in the beginning of my uh, bass and musical journey. Um, so thank you all so much for tuning in, and I just want to give a big, big thank you again to Tom and Niall for inviting me to be a part of this amazing podcast, and also a big shout out to Zoltan, um, who was the star of episode one, and I cannot wait to tune back in for episodes three and beyond. So take care, guys, and see ya. You're listening to Clayton Rocks. The world's first podcast for bass players, dedicated to Adam Clayton's bass lines, his basses, and bass gear. Wow, what can I say? Having listened to that interview with Danny, like he's so insightful, his thought processes, his context, his perception of the album itself, what it meant to him, um, what it meant to him as a bassist, and the different styles that he has replicated on those 11 bass lines. And again, he mentions the B-sides and the B-sides are something that I think are so rich that you and I, Tom, will have to revisit them on a separate episode in the future because they deserve that. And Danny mentions those B-sides. He mentions his top three. You know, he mentions what, I suppose, he, he felt that it wasn't, we, we could use the word simplistic, that Adam's bass lines on Josh are simplistic, but they're also ones that require that focus and discipline. And I think Danny kind of reinforces that point. But what I really got from the interview was his love of Adam, how this album changed his his bass playing perspective. And his I just think his thoughts are so, are so insightful. I really thought that was a powerful interview. What did you think, Tom? Oh, fantastic. Uh, and um, I found it interesting, you know, Danny, Danny comes from a very different place discovering you two than, than, than you and I did. Um, he is a bit younger than we are. And you know, came to the um, came to to this album. It wasn't his first album, and kind of revisiting it. And um, he's so uh, so thoughtful in his replies. When you know, when we come up with the questions to ask him, you know, as we're doing it, I'm trying to think, you know, how I would respond. And uh, he's just so thoughtful, and cerebral, um, and really, you know, dissecting with the role of a bass player and Adam's role. Um, and you could really just hear how it has really did have an impact on on his uh, on his style and his playing. Um, so it was always kind of cool to get different perspectives on from different players and you know where they were uh, in their playing and you know how old they were and what well, came to you two in different parts of our lives. Um, so to hear Danny's perspective uh, for me is very interesting and he did again just so uh, so very thoughtful. And you mentioned the word supportive, and I have to agree with you, Tom. There's been many occasions, uh, and I've done it with you, but also done it with Danny, where I've looked for a breakdown or a bass tap, or basically just a peculiarity in the song that I can't work out, or a bass line element that I can't work out. And he's so thoughtful, so helpful, 
always there to support very responsive so again guys i hope you enjoyed that interview with danny certainly was a huge highlight of this particular podcast but yeah, we're not one, fin- uh, i'm sorry one more thing um one thing i, I love about danny's uh videos as well um is it's not just the video but when you know you leave a comment he always responds and um that little touch you know that's something i i've learned from him as well not just you know how to play a song but when you put videos out there, if someone leaves a comment to reply and to show how kind of appreciative you are. And Danny is always, always um, just so appreciative and supportive of, um, of the basis out there in our community. I could agree more. He's such a positive guy. And I, I agree with the comments, always very quick to comment, but always in a positive light. And that's very, very encouraging for, for all bass players, especially Adam fans. So Tom, we're going to, go back to the Joshua Tree baseline rankings and we haven't discussed these before so this is somewhat of a surprise to both of us but what we're going to do now is very quickly we're both going to rank and rate our top six baselines from the Joshua Tree and if it's okay Tom I might go first go right ahead so Tom in descending order for Niall Featherstone number six Trip Tree or Wires in number five Red Hill Town in number four, One Tree Hill. Number three, for me, it's Exit. Number two, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And maybe no surprise, in number one, my favorite baseline, probably of all time, not just on the Joshua Tree, is With or Without You. Well, Tom, how about you? Oh, this was so hard. And, you know, this may change in an hour or next week. Um, all right, so my six uh, from Descending Order. Um, I'm going to go with number six, with or without you. At number five, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Number four, One Tree Hill. So we agree on that okay, one. Okay, agree there. Yep. Uh, number three, I'm going to go with In God's Country. Number two, Bold the Blue Sky. And number one, Where the Streets Have No Name. And uh, I find it interesting, um, again, the difference between your list and my list. Uh, those last two, or my, my, my number one, number two, Streets and Bullet, uh, both played with a pick, um, which maybe for me, again, that's uh, maybe shows my some of the difference in my style. It's interesting, Tom, but I suppose it's kind of a reflection on, on our own discussions on our favorite bass lines. And when we look at the Adam Clayton Bass Covers video group on, on Facebook, you know, people have different uh, views on different uh, bass lines of different albums. And it might be interesting in 2023 to have a look at, uh, maybe do a poll and to find out what people's on, the, on that forum. And there's around 175 people on the forum, all bass playing Adam uh, fans of his uh, bass lines. What would their top six be? And they probably would vary. Like we've one in common there. Um, was it One Tree Hill? Yeah, One Tree Hill. Yeah. We both had number four. Yeah, we voted at number four, One Tree Hill. The others are different, you know, and is to do with our playing styles. Is it our personal preference? Sometimes for me, I have to be honest, it, it might have something to do with the ease of the bass song. Because sometimes yeah. it, if it's too complicated, I'm just going to I'm going to park it. And yeah. I could need, like sometimes I need weeks, sometimes months to learn the bass line. So if it's really, really difficult, I might just park it. So that yeah. may, may impact on mine. Though I will t- I'll take a point off of both Blue Sky because it's played down a half step. <laughs> 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 That is your favorite. Uh, well, yeah, for those of us, uh, yeah, everyone here is probably listening. Um, that's always one of the frustrating parts with you, too, is that some songs for other reason are 
you know, two down a half step. Um, so, you know, if you have more than one base, maybe have a U2 base set aside, just tune down to half a step. So you could don't, you're not a constantly, um, you know, detuning everything. Good point, Tom. So Tom, we're coming towards the end of today's podcast. So today's podcast was all about the baselines of the Joshua Tree, Adam's amazing work, and in a great interview uh, with Danny Balog. So guys, we want, we're going to wrap up now just to say a couple of things. Number one, first and foremost, thanks to Zoltan, our producer and editor-in-chief, who's done amazing work behind the scenes in putting these podcasts together. There's a lot of material that has to be done in advance of publication. Um, so again, a very, very warm thanks to our good, close friend, Zoltan. Thank you, um, Zoltan. Certainly, it's very much appreciated, Zoltan. And also then, just to kind of flag, we're hoping to have a very, very special uh, interview. We won't give the name away, but let's just say he's Canadian and he is going to do an interview with us. Uh, more than likely, it's going to be published in episode three in April. So in the meantime, I want to go back to my good friend, Thomas Friglio in Long Island for any closing comments, Tom. I really enjoy this. Um, when we discussed episode two and the Joshua Tree, uh, I was super excited for this. Uh, it's an album that for many, many YouTube fans and for bassists particularly, there's just, uh, again, so many fantastic, iconic bass lines uh, to it. So, um, and again, you know, you and I have come to bass at different points in our lives. So for me, uh, and Danny as well to kind of get different perspectives on this album for me I, I, I love hearing how um, you know how Adam influences different bases and uh, you know how they came to to find you too so thank you for sharing your uh, your stories and your your insight Tom really enjoyed it it's great to get your perspective it's great to get your tutorials it's great to hear a bit from Danny again when I took up bass in 2012-2013 apart from learning with or without you it was the likes of Danny that I went to first uh, and Zoltan to look at well how do you play that song and over the, the, those years we've become friends uh, so that in itself there's a huge bassist community uh, when it comes to Adam's Adam's work so again over and out folks um, have a great new year uh, keep safe everyone and we'll see you in April all the best cheers everybody Clayton Rocks the world's first podcast for bass players dedicated to Adam Clayton's bass lines, his basses and bass gear. See you next time.